2: Welcome to the Celtics On Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Tempestai, and I'm joined by Alex Dr. Justin Quinn. I'm going to give a timestamp right away. It is 5 o'clock, Friday, Eastern Time, and that's really important because at any given moment, this entire podcast could get derailed because we are, I guess, a few hours removed now from the Kyrie Irving trade request. We brought in uh, Dan Favelli of Bleacher Report to talk about all the trade chatter around the NBA, talk about the Celtics, but... um, We might end up talking about Kyrie, depending on if any news breaks. In the meantime, for now, Dan, how are you?
3: I am doing well. How are you guys doing?
2: Just enjoying life as an NBA fan, participant in the craziest of crazies. Um, Yeah, so I'm sure listeners know, I'm sure anyone who has gotten their hands on this podcast knows that Kyrie Irving reportedly, uh, although that caveat is probably not necessarily, I think a lot of people have confirmed that reporting, requested a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. We're not going to talk about it for more than a few minutes, but we're going to talk about it a little bit. Dan, are you in New York, by the way?
3: Yeah, not the city. I'm on the island in the suburbs.
2: Okay, so uh, boots on the ground. What do you think about this Kyrie situation?
3: Typical. That's why you just couldn't have trusted <laughs> the Nets this um, this year. And, it, of course, it happens at, like, 3 o'clock or whatever it was on a Friday. Um, just it's, – it's not surprising. It's just exasperating at this point. And I think the – the bigger thing and it's already happened is teams want to know what's going to happen with Kevin Durant. Now. No one really, I mean, people care what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving, but he's not the, he's not the main character in his own dramedy at this point. Like it's become Kevin Durant. So I don't think the Nets get a ton of value for him if they move him. And I actually wouldn't be surprised if they were just like, we're doomed. Like, let's just play out this season and try and like win in the playoffs or something. And we'll see what happens with Kevin Durant from there.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's highly likely that with six days remaining before the trade deadline, I, I, I just think it's going to be almost impossible to get a trade off in this time. You know, stranger things have happened, obviously, but it's just going to be really, really difficult. And I think what is more than likely going to wind up happening is the Nets will end up just like making a couple of moves around the edges of their roster to try and win the title this year. And then after that, Kyrie Irving will walk. And then after that. Who knows what will happen with Kevin Durant? It, I mean, maybe one of these teams like the Mavericks or uh, the Suns rams through an offer at the last minute, but it's certainly not going to be, I think, a very big offer. And it's in a situation where I don't think Brooklyn this season can really afford to trade Kyrie Irving for pennies on the dollar just because of the Durant factor, Um they're, they're in a real bind here. And, you know, as a Celtics fan, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not complaining too much.
5: Yeah, honestly, I could see them having to spend assets to get back a player that would have any chance of convincing Kevin Durant to stay. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. All
2: right. I said we we're going to keep it brief. So uh, one last there you go. Wrap, uh, Kyrie question, and then we'll move on. Uh, what are the odds that Kyrie Irving is not in the NBA next season? And I'm going to frame that around he is on an expiry contract and picky to say the least Dan uh you could say no percent one percent a hundred percent what are the odds Kyrie isn't in the league next year
3: I mean there's at least like a 13 percent chance that he goes on a sabbatical to try and find like the edge of the earth right so there's like let's throw it there but I think from a I would be the fact that he wanted to sign an extension is clearly peeved that the Nets wanted stipulations not as if he's submarine their team like in each of the past few years that they would want some sort of guarantee that he's going to play in a certain number of games but just that he's interested in extension I would think that there's a not like there's a zero percent chance he's not in the NBA next year and we know that teams no matter how these people are as humans like they're just gonna if they can play basketball there's going to be a spot for them on their team so I think he'll be in the NBA next year
2: yeah but that's the thing is like can Kyrie play basketball like whether it's
5: can, he can or... he can
3: will he is like the question like his ability is never i mean he's had like a fairly fantastic year from a statistical perspective he's been a little bit better on defense than i expected but can you count on him day to day the answer is no like he was a few weeks ago he was like no one in this locker room is halfway in except for me who's only like a quarter of the way in i guess because you went and requested a, a trade i think it's less than two weeks later since he said that so this is just like You mentioned at the top, I don't know why you would give up. There's one team, it's probably the Lakers, that could talk themselves into giving up a first-round pick or two first-round picks for him, but why? Why would you ever, we've just seen it, in Boston, in Cleveland, in Brooklyn, time and time again, like, there will be a few months where everything's hunky-dory, but this is going to blow up in your face. And so that's what makes this so fascinating.
2: Yeah, and we're talking about Kyrie more. I think young guys in the league adore him. That's how, you know, the fan vote, and the player vote just... He steamed rolled his way into the starting lineup in the all-star game which is funny I don't know that older players like him I don't know if international players adore him so like I don't know if Luca and LeBron are for he seems his-
5: pretty universally liked by the players to the point where I find it a little strange based on what has happened among the teams he's been on but we're probably beating this horse to death all
2: right Alex you are on uh Sham's and Wojwatch. watch if anything happens we'll we'll get into it. What we were supposed to do this podcast was talk a little bit about the Boston Celtics, and then Dan, you have your epic trade deadline cheat sheet over on Bleacher Report. You looked at every team in the NBA, so um, we're gonna tap you pretty hard to see what comes out in terms of uh, trade gossip. Um, but that's later in the program, in the lab portion of the programming. Um, so let's talk about the Celtics. And last, we talked the Celtics—you know—steamrolled the aforementioned Nets and the Lakers, two not very good teams. Um, Jalen Brown made the all-star team. I think that's worth talking about. Dan, I don't think it was ever in doubt that Jalen was eventually going to be named an all-star, but any thoughts on Jalen's second all-star nod?
3: Yeah, I think it was pretty guaranteed that, you know, I think he was kind of on the fringes of like, no, did he, if he's eligible as like backcourt um, at the beginning of the all-star voting, it was, does he deserve to be a starter? It's like, that was always the the conversation with him. And so he absolutely deserves it. He's been, you know, I don't know who I saw the quote tweet that said that um, Tatum and Brown might go down as the best duo to a duo of all times. So like, I don't know if I'm ready to make that type of a leap without he's played, but he's just been fantastic. And looking at his year over year growth for the most part, where it's. Um, if I guess it feels more incremental each year than like monstrous is actually just like really impressive at this point in his career, because now he's been in the NBA for the better part of a decade. And to just have someone like him who um, his offense is still, I think when you look at what the national perspective is on him, his offensive armory for the past, like two or three years has just been way deeper than people um, think that it is. And I think that's, again, a testament to his year over year growth and the numbers that he's put up this season for the most part, have just been, absurd and so i didn't have i i kind of assumed he was a shoe in to, to make the all-star game
2: justin uh, you can also talk to, about Jalen, but can you um fold joe missoula into this because uh, since we last talked he got named uh coach of i guess technically the east team although it's it's, he's coaching Giannis' team? Do I have that right?
5: Yeah, so I really don't like that. They should just get rid of the whole <laughs> conferences thing if they're going to do the playground-style thing. It would solve a lot of problems in terms of helping people get onto the ballots, but it's a whole different conversation. Joe is coaching because the Celtics have the best record. That's what happens. Whoever whoever the coach of the team with the best record in the East and the West conferences, respectively, ended up, ended up getting that. Mazzolo's Except for it,
2: it can't be back-to-back, which is... Really, I didn't know. A that. Useful trivia. I'm pretty sure I'm cool. right about that.
5: Yeah, I mean, why not?
2: Okay, sorry, I cut you off.
5: No, I was just going to say that Missoula City didn't care and uh, Marcus Martin said about it. So, yeah, who cares?
2: Missoula's, I don't know, Dan, I don't know if Missoula's shtick has made it down to New York, but it's, it's kind of one dimensional at this point. It's just really, uh, I don't know. Joe, if you're listening, I think you got to throw a few more tricks out there. I think the non answers are getting old. Um, Alex, you had one big snub on your East team. You want to talk us through who that is?
4: Yeah, so, um, you know, I think the East and the West teams, for the most part, are okay. There's definitely a couple of notable names left off. And there's one in particular that stands out as an overwhelmingly obvious snub. Guys, James Harden has to be on the All-Star team. It's ridiculous that he is not on the All-Star team. You know, I, I am not a huge Sixers guy. And frankly, I I don't really even love watching Harden play all that much, but he's been astonishingly good when he's been on the court. And it's ridiculous that he's not there. Uh, Currently, as of today, averaging, let's see, 21. He is near leading the league in assists with 11 assists a game. He has six rebounds a game. Uh, His effective field goal percentage is 550 on the year. He's nearly a 50-40-90 guy. And he has one of the higher usage rates in the league. Now, he's missed some time. I'll grant you that for sure. But there are other All-Stars on the roster who haven't also missed time. Tyrese Halliburton, Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson all come to mind. James Harden has missed about as many games as those guys. And when he's been on the court, he has produced at well beyond an All-Star level. Uh, It's ridiculous to me that he is not on the team. Uh, And the question that always comes up when I talk about All-Star snubs is, who is coming off with much apologies to drew holiday. A lovely player. Good guy. Seems like he's, you know, had a nice year. James Harden is a much better basketball player than drew holiday. And it's very silly that James Harden is not on the roster. Dan, I, I agree you know, with
3: that, by the way, I think I, I even, say any
2: snubs on your end, Dan,
3: I think James Harden was the biggest one, even over Julius Randall. I probably would have had him on there as well. Just looking at the, the East player pool. The West specifically was tough just because like you were dealing with so many injuries in the front court um, that it could have gone either way. I still think just probably like Anthony Davis need to like had to be on there. And the fact that he wasn't like, I think I would have went with him over Paul George. Um, I think you could make the case over Jaron Jackson Jr. But like Jaron Jackson Jr.'s had a fantastic year. He missed a ton of time though. So that was the, um, you know, I wasn't even watching live because I was filing a big project and I had to like double check to make sure that I wasn't losing my mind that he didn't make the All Star team.
2: Yeah, I had to ask them. I was like, so they're gonna pick a few more players later, right? Like this isn't it? But uh, no, that's it. James Harden. I mean, there might be some injury replacements, but for now, James Harden's not an All Star. Which, Alex, to your point, I mean, the the stats speak for themselves. But anyone who's watched Sixers basketball knows that he's playing at an All Star level. Although. I don't know. I thought Randall was a deserving pick, and also, you know, the New York New York bump. Um, probably not Drew. I would probably take Drew off. All right. Let me pause the action. Let's talk about our friends over at Bet Online. We'll do a little bit of news, and then we'll talk all about the trades. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your Super Bowl betting needs this season. Get analysis of every play, prop, and point at Bet Online. You'll find the latest odds and team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And with betting options for everything from national anthem to the halftime show and even the Gatorade bath, Bet Online is your Super Bowl headquarters this season. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to check out the most comprehensive Super Bowl info on the web. Don't forget to use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit to get in on all the betting action. Bet Online, where the game starts. BetOnline.ag. Um, just as an aside, if you're not a, an, a partner with the NFL. Um, you're really not supposed to use Super Bowl and ad copy. So when I used to do advertising copy, I always have to write about the big game. Um, and it, there's only so many euphemisms for Super Bowl. But um, so if you if you see your favorite company advertising for the big game, it's because they legally can't say Super Bowl, and I always find that funny. All
5: right. Anyways, so we, we broke the law then. Nice. I think
2: that online is a sports book. I think. I don't know too? Yeah, if this is, is it, is? if I'm if I'm going to the big house because not I'm my circle. Yeah. Okay, Dan. Um, The biggest news in Boston right now is that uh, Peyton Pritchard went on the Point Forward podcast with Evan Turner and Andre Iguodala and suggested that he wants a bigger role. The team ran interference and said, we want him to want a bigger role. We want your guys to stay hungry. Um, We kind of suspect it's a no deal. um, But as a segue to our conversation about trades, Dan, what do you think of Peyton Pritchard uh, podcast hit and his comments if if you saw them? You
3: know, I, one, I appreciated the candor like to come out with that. Well, it's just, you're on the best team in the league right now and um, you're still on your rookie scale contract, but that's also part of the equation is he's extension eligible after this year. And these guys are thinking about their futures, especially when you're coming off that first contract, especially when you're making as little as he is relative to the league average right now. And so I totally get it. And now you're looking at the Celtics and it was one thing when they went out and traded for Derek white last year, but then you go and trade for Malcolm Brogdon over the off season and you're staring at those two and Marcus smart is there and it's all right. Well, where's my path to playing time right here. And then like, we saw that the Celtics were earlier, not so much now, like they were leaning on Sam Hauser and it's like, well, are they more invested in him than me moving forward? And all of a sudden, it's like, am I not even a top eight, nine guy for them? And so I get kind of like the, you know, given how finite player careers are, I totally understand where he's coming from. Um, And I, I, you know, I don't really know what the solution is. Like, I don't see a pathway to him outside of injury, uh, to him actually getting more minutes. And I would imagine that he was at like last I checked, like since January, like 16 minutes a game. And I would be shocked if he's like even close to that when they get into the, to the postseason. And so I totally get where he's coming from, but if you're the Celtics, like to have him as sort of an insurance policy, when you look at what he can do, like the effort he can give you on defense and like some of the plays he's able to make on the ball at points, um, I don't know why you just want to trade him for the sake of trading him either. It feels like something that needs to be settled over the the offseason, but it's it's definitely interesting, especially as people wonder, are they going to be a team that goes out and like looks for a fourth big at the trade deadline? Is Peyton Pritchard someone who factors into that search?
2: Yeah, one thing that I've been thinking about recently is uh, I think it's easy to stereotype shooters off the bench and like, four-year college guys and role players as just happy to be there. Um, that they know their role and they're they're so excited to fill that role. And I think one thing that is coming out about Peyton Pritchard is that he's like, and I mean this in the best way, I think he's a little crazy. I think he's like got that dog in him. Like, I think he is so sincere that he wants a bigger role. And it makes sense, you know, if you're an undersized guard to earn playoff burn in the first place, you kind of have to have that fight in you so I kind of agree with the, the kind of PR that the Celtics ran out, basically saying, like, we want him to be this hungry. But yeah, Dan, to your point, I mean, Smart's been out with an ankle injury, and it's not like Pritchard has been seeing huge jumps in minutes. So I, I, I will talk about the trades in a minute, but the long-term future for Pritchard on the Celtics perhaps is unclear just because, you know, not everybody... There's just not enough minutes for everyone to eat, and I think Pritchard's hungry. Um, Justin? Can you give us an, an update on Smart's ankle? I don't think there's that much news there, but can you just like summarize where we're at?
5: He's not going to be playing tonight. Uh, we're recording this just to have the Suns game. He's not playing tonight. He's probably not playing before the All-Star game. And if he really is still feeling the results of an injury that at this point is fairly old, uh, resting it more is the, is the right choice. So uh, frankly speaking, unless he's feeling like, you know, ready right, to pogo stick on it, I don't want to see him until after the All-Star game. So
2: yeah. Yeah, the Celtics place play uh, Philadelphia, Memphis, and Milwaukee between now and the All-Star break, so it would be cool to have Marcus Smart back, but games in February aren't as valuable as games in May and April, uh, or June for that matter, so I kind of hope he rests, but we'll see what happens. All right, let's jump into the lab, the Celtics lab that we like to call it. Dan of Bleacher Report of uh, super duper huge big fat <laughs> trade deadline cheat sheet fame, um, you are going to be our expert here. Can I ask a little inside baseball? How long does it take to put something like that together?
3: I don't. I don't even <laughs> want to count the number of hours I spent on it. It was. It did involve. I had to like finish with an all miter, like to just get it in. And I still. I'm notorious for missing my deadlines at Bleach Report, and I still miss the deadline. And like, I get they're generous with the time they give me. It's just I go down the rabbit hole of this stuff, and I like to. This isn't to say the trades are good, but when you have to come up with the trade idea for every NBA team, like I am trying to pull fans people who cover the team people who are like you know just in like the team's like semi orbit just to make sure they're not completely awful and so you end up coming up with like hundreds of trades and you cut them at the cutting room floor so i do enjoy it but whenever i'm done it's like that feeling of holy crap thank god this is over (laughs)
2: uh yeah if anyone who hasn't read it uh, you should check it out it is a whopper um sometimes it's nice to just cover one team (laughs) anyways Let's talk about that one team, the Boston Celtics, uh, and then we'll expand it to the rest of the league. I think probably listeners kind of have a sense of where the Celtics are at, but let's do a little bit of recap, Dan, and then anyone else. What do you expect, just like, uh, before we get into the minutiae, what do you expect from the Celtics at the trade deadline?
3: The two things I'm kind of watching for is do they try and cut their, as you know, unsexy as this is, are they going to try and cut their tax bill by figuring out if they can, um, you know, compensate a team to take on Daniel Gallinari's deal. And he has that player option for next year. And then I'm obviously looking to see like, well are they going to try and, make any i won't even say it's like rotation upgrades but like sort of just rotation fortifying moves where i think the acquiring another big is like the most popular thing and i guess with sam house in his slump and if you're not going to pay uh play excuse me peyton pritchard all that much is there like a perimeter or wing type of player that you could get to deepen that aspect of the rotation so those are kind of the two spots i'm looking at um and then i think the third question would just be like well they don't have to do anything and so are they going to do anything like this could just be like They can just sit this one out because of the position that they're in. I think that's definitely, you know, they do have the traded player exception as well. And so they're like, they're built to do stuff, but like, they don't need to do stuff.
2: Yeah. I wonder if Justin Jackson is on his way out for, to the benefit of taxes, Uh, but maybe they really want to cut their tax bill. Um, Alex, anything that you would amend or push back on there?
4: Um, Nothing that I would amend or push back on. Just something that I would kind of touch on a little more. I do think that we have to look at that TPE in play. You know, Brad Stevens has obviously made a lot of use of uh, traded player exceptions in his time as a GM. And I think there's a pretty reasonable chance that given that the Celtics now have nine to 10 rotation players that they feel pretty locked in and comfortable about that um, if they're going to acquire any significant salary pieces, it would almost certainly have to come in the form of absorbing them into that TPE and sending out draft picks as compensation. Um, I think there's definitely a world where they, if they get bowled over for a Peyton Pritchard offer, they would have to listen. But outside of that, I think you know my stance in the Celtics has always been that they're much more likely to acquire somebody in the buyout market than the trade market. Um, I do think that that TPE, though, is in play and adds a kind of interesting wrinkle to what would otherwise, I expect, be a relatively quiet deadline.
5: Not too much to add to that. I expect something in the range of a small trade, a buyout guy, maybe both, maybe neither. I I do agree with Dan pretty pretty strongly. They don't need to, so they're not going to be over a barrel in any particular deal. But I do think they want to have a little bit more legs to absorb some of those front court minutes just because of how old Al is and just because and you know he's not old he's way younger than I am uh, and you know Rob he turns his ankles bangs his knee has stuff even when things are going relatively well that take him out of the game for a while so it'd be good to have one more capable body
2: yeah with respect to Luke Cornett I don't think that like the pathway back to the finals is Luke Cornett starting a few games in the eastern semis Um, I have a a few clarifying points, first of which, whether it's TPEs or DPEs or anything like that, we did a whole episode on the legal boundaries the Celtics have at this trade deadline. Um, So if you're curious about the, the specifics there, I'd go check that out. There's been some talk and some reporting that I've seen that the Celtics are hesitant to trade Danilo Gallinari because going back to Isaiah Thomas, there's a little bit of a stink around the team that you know, mercilessly trading injured players isn't a good look. Um, Dan, I, I don't know if you've seen any of that reporting. What do you make of that idea? And obviously it's a new regime in Boston.
3: I did not see that at all. And I guess it's fair to consider, but it's just like, this is such a completely different situation. Like Danilo Gallinari did not mean to this franchise what Isaiah Thomas meant to the franchise. And I think the other thing here is like, he also didn't injure himself playing for the Celtics either. And so I think that's part of the equation. And and in this case, I look at it as like sort of part of the business. And that's why you got the player option. If you're dealing with Gallinari, is you have that security to ensure that you're going to get paid in the second year, but you don't know necessarily which team that's going to be on. Like you do forfeit that type of control. And so I don't view it as, yeah, it's like a cold callous business move, but those are the type of transactions that get made in um, in the NBA all the time.
5: I just want to jump in too and say, it doesn't have to be right. Because we had the Ricky Rubio example previously of where he did not elect to pick up. I think he, I think he still had an optional season. But even if he, even if he didn't, they can trade him away, and then re-sign him the, the coming season, so he can still get the MLE money. In fact, it might even be a little bit more because of the, the growth of the cap. Yeah. Uh, it's not going to be the full MLE, obviously, and I don't think anyone's going to give Donald Gallinari a full MLE after you know that him on the court, basically since since, since, since this injury. Uh, but it doesn't have to be this like cold calculated move. They can have. I don't think they can. They're allowed to explicitly say we will do this if you do that. But they can say we would be strongly interested in seeing you back with the Celtics in the future. That would be totally fine. And you know they're not stupid. They'll figure it out.
3: I think what would be awkward there is because Rubio didn't have the option. If if you saw Danilo on another team, decline his player option then end up back at the Celtics. There'd be, I mean, they shouldn't care because you get fined a second round pick for tampering, but I think that would be like, but you're right. That's a good point too. Like they were, they, and Rubio actually injured himself playing for um, Cleveland. And so yeah. they traded him after that. So that, that's a great point.
2: Can you self tamper? What, what's the problem?
4: <laughs> I think
5: you can. Yes.
3: I mean, there is, there's no problem with tampering. Clearly just, Second round pick.
4: That's fine. do you want to or pick? Fit? Yeah, yeah, Actually it's fine. worth it. Exploit I mean, that for sure.
2: I kind of like that. I mean, to, Gallo is kind of the biggest salary. I mean, but Celtics can stitch Pritchard and Luke Cornett together for a few million bucks. Grant Williams doesn't even make that much money. Um, I don't. I don't think there's an appetite to trade Grant Williams um, or you know multiple first round picks. But Dan, do you think there's any chance that Celtics are eyeing anything other than a marginal move?
5: No, I would be
3: floored if they just decided like, Oh, we're going to put our like 2025 first on the table and then like a sizable salary. Uh, if they were, if they got maybe Intel that Grant Williams was going to get $20 million a year and doesn't really want to be in Boston, but maybe, but short of that, um, I feel like the, the biggest or most notable player that could feasibly be traded on this, uh, team is Peyton Pritchard. And I don't even think I would predict that at
2: this point. Yeah, I, I suspect you're right. Um, Ryan Bernadoni over on the winning blaze podcast made a good point that if the Celtics do trade one first round pick because of the rules related to having, you can't have, you know, multiple years without first round picks Boston wouldn't be able to trade first round picks in the future. So trading one uh, low key hamstrings, you very much so moving forward. So they'd have to really think about what it would look like to make a mini splash because it might make other splashes down the line harder to do. Um, Dan, speaking of splashes, you proposed Nas Reed, uh, to the Celtics, can you break us break it on down on uh, what that would look like and like how you land on Nas Reed?
3: Yeah, I mean, I Nas Reed is so good, but he's okay. going into free agency. He's on a team that needs him now because Cat's been injured, Rudy Gobert's missed time. Um, but long term, if you look at someone who's let's just say he gets MLE money, which is going to be about eleven point three million next year, can you pay another big that when you're paying a trillion dollars to Cat and Gobert on your roster already? And so if you're Minnesota he's more valuable to you than two second round picks, which is the trade I propose. It's basically just two second round picks for Nas Reed. Um, at the same time, like if you're not going to be able to pay him, it's better than losing him for nothing. And I had thought, you know, maybe if Oz the Celtics, would I consider giving up Peyton Pritchard for Nas Reed because Nas, Nas Reed is so good, but he's going to be a free agent. You know, Grant Williams is a free agent. And so it's like, you can look at it two ways. Well, it's, it, they're different players. I want to make that clear. And I don't really see Nas Reed doesn't seem like the typical Celtics big man. Um, he's like this six foot nine inch guard. And so there's that element on offense. But when, in terms of the playmaking, um, he doesn't really fit that motif for Boston. But you could look at his insurance. He's going to cost less than Grant Williams. And so if Grant Williams prices himself out of town to have Nas Reed all of a sudden as your third big with RW3 and Al Horford works. But it's also you're not going to pay both of these guys. So he is functionally a rental. And if the Timberwolves are looking um, to just move him in advance of free agency and the Celtics want to get in on a big Um, They do have like the seconds I proposed were not uninteresting. Like if I'm Minnesota scaling forward. And so two second rounders is the, is the standard offer for him. Uh, If I'm Boston, I'm all in on that. Now, if it's an actual bidding war, like, no, like you're just not going to be in on on it. But if they really want a big um, Nazare can play both like the four of the five and he works with every single other front court player that they have. And that would be, he's so cheap that it just makes it so easy to acquire him without um, moving one of your like even semi-court like we don't have to talk about moving a Peyton Pritchard for him because Nas Reed is even cheaper than than him so that's like a very unique case I'm just curious as to what Minnesota's internal evaluation is of of his situation
4: yeah I think it's really interesting to look at a guy like Nas Reed in particular because um, you know he is playing really well above his pay grade um, and I would imagine that in a normal market, there would be no shortage of buyers on Nas Reed. but given the way that the trade market is working right now, where it seems like people are just asking for the wildest prices possible on their players in the wake of the Rudy Gobert, DeJounte, Murray, Donovan, Mitchell, Summer, you know, I think it's going to be in a situation where Nas Reed, um, the Timberwolves might be asking for a lot for Nas Reed starting right now. Um, but Have seeing that price potentially come down substantially over the deadline, I think is not out of the question. And if that's the case, the Celtics should certainly be willing to pounce on that. I I do kind of wonder because he would then be coming in to basically being this team's fourth big in all effects when uh, when we're kind of looking at what he's doing there. Um, And I think he would get burned, obviously, with Horford sitting out back to backs and with Rob presumably uh, missing time eventually again. Um, so it's not like he wouldn't have a role, but his role would be pretty significantly reduced. And I do think it would be a situation where if you're getting Nas Reed for a title run, you're probably then choosing between him and Grant Williams heading into the offseason. I disagree. I disagree. Yeah? All right. Tell me yeah. why. And the reason why,
5: and this is actually, I didn't even think about this. Um, I'm stealing this from Chris Forsberg. He said on a recent podcast that with if you just have... If you don't even think about Grant, right? We think about the fact that Al's salary d- diminishes uh, to the point where you're only paying about $35 million if he gets that kind of MLE money for your entire front court. You add Grant in, it's $45 million for your entire front court rotation of any consequence. Look at what they have in Minnesota in one yeah. player, you know? So, I mean, it can work. Will it be the, the choice they, they take? I don't know. But the, the financial aspect of it, whether they want to use him as a rental, which he would be worth it, or whether they want to keep him, he would also be functionally retainable.
4: I think it can work. I think the question for me is Would Nas Reed want to re sign with the Boston yeah. Celtics to be their fourth big in the offseason, given that it seems like he is going to have a market, particularly as a free agent? That I'm a little bit more skeptical about, but we'll I'm see. He has
5: to stop playing so many minutes at some point.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, th- It goes back to Dan's point. uh, The the calculus here is that the Celtics ownership seems willing to spend into the tax, but how willing and for how long is unclear? Because I, Dr. Quinn, I I suspect you're right that the Celtics could try to retain Nasrid and would be happy to pay it, but only to an extent. And then, you know, maybe he walks, um, which kind of segues into two other big men who have been uh, tied to the Celtics. Uh,
1: So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
6: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify?
2: I just like see his name and I freeze even though I know I know how to say it uh Dan what do you think of Jakob Pertl uh possibly becoming a Boston Celtic
3: I don't get it mostly because I'm assuming that if you're getting Jakob Pertle, it's because you gave up a first round pick and I'm not giving up a first round pick to I don't think the Spurs are getting two like you said like the astronomical asking prices where it's oh Detroit won't move Bojan Bogdanovic for an unprotected first round pick from a lottery team like okay like let's Let's chill here. But as you guys were just talking about, what's an interesting discussion with Nasreed is he's coming in to be part of a four big man rotation. And you're not giving up a first round pick to address that, in my opinion. And so while Perdle would be, I guess, a nice fit, I actually think he slipped a little bit defensively this year. I don't know if that's because the Spurs are asking him to do so much on such an inexperienced and um not so talented roster. Um, but I just like I guess. Temporarily, if you can get him without giving up a first round pick, it makes some sort of sense, but he gives you, I think, even more limitations because he's very much a one-position player. Whereas like you can view Grant Williams and Nas Reed as two position players. Al Horford's a two-position player as well, basically. Um, and so I don't necessarily love that idea. And then it's also like, who else are you giving up? Because like you have to get to his money, and so it's Gallo plus what is the framework? Like, you are giving up Peyton Pritchard there, you are giving up. Sam Hauser, you step laddering like your way with all these like um, other smaller deals there. So it just feels a little too complicated. And again, it would just feel like what I believe it would take to get him, which is probably a protected first round pick, especially when you know it can't convey this year since you already traded this year's pick. You're going to hamstring yourself out into the future now to do that for your fourth big and for like a guy who I don't you know, he's not even there's no chance that he's ever on the court for you in closing time of like the finals based off your roster construction um, it just feels like too steep and therefore just not the best fit to me
2: I all that I agree with I guess my pushback would be I think it's safe to assume or, or prudence to assume that there will be one series or a series worth of games where either Horford or Robert Williams are unavailable so I think the Celtics landing a starter quality big is not insignificant but if everything is breaking right for Boston, then it's a non-issue. Um, same, same, but different. I mean, I just don't think that Boston has the salary to match, but Kelly Olenek, um, supposedly Boston has been kicking the tires. Um, I mean, yeah. it's not
5: that crazy of a deal to trade for Kelly. You're going to have to trade one of Sam Hauser or Peyton Pritchard plus Justin Jackson and Donimo Gallinari. Uh, you know, rehash all the stuff we just said about them being relevant uh, to consider in the terms of actually making the deal as well but in terms of financials it's not that crazy to to pull it off the question is is Danny going to be nice to the Celtics that he's not running them uh I am a little skeptical I believe that he's going to you know try to get every single drop of blood he can get out of that deal
2: yeah I mean I'm sure Dan you get this all the time but people just keep asking me when are the Celtics going to trade for Dwight Powell um (laughs) <laughs> I, I got I got buried for that. Um, and well, you a, traded
4: a first-round pick for Dwight Powell. I think that's what people were upset about. He's, yeah,
5: I could see the deal. He's playing well enough. I could see actually trading for him, but not first. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. a first. Anyway, we've legislated
2: A first-round pick for the Celtics should be functionally a second-round pick. It's, <laughs> it's just the optics of the first-round pick. Um, Dan, I'm going to take it from your your silence and your grin that you agree with me the Celtics should trade for Dwight Powell.
3: They should give up two first-round picks for Dwight Powell, I think.
2: Dan... Why don't you and I just break away and start our own podcast? Because that's the kind of stuff I like to hear. I can't wait to ask you about Mello on the buyout market. Um, <laughs> in terms of trades, uh, a couple other names that we have heard or talked about. Can I interest you in PJ Washington, Jared Vanderbilt, or Mason Plumley, Dan?
3: Um, Plumley's having a heck of a year. And so like if, you, if you're if you going to get Charlotte to take on Daniel Gallinari's part of that, since Plumley doesn't fit into your TPE, I consider it um what else are you giving up i know charlotte thinks they're gonna get a first round pick for him there i'll tell you right now they're not getting a first round pick for mason Plumley. like there's just it's not happening uh, i would love pj washington in boston there's definitely a redundancy with grant williams but again like you just see what both of them get in free agency what is interesting about that though is the teams that have cap space this year just as an aside when I mean this applies to the Nas Reed, like a lot of them need like the tweener bigs where it's like if it's yeah. indy or if it's detroit or um, San Antonio or OKC could all talk to themselves and be like, hey, let's pay Nas Reed, Grant Williams, or P.J. Washington a bunch of money. Um, so if you have two of those guys on your roster, like you're increasing your chances that you get to keep one, but that might be why it's prohibitive to keep two. Um, so P.J. Washington, I would definitely go for. It's just would you give up a 2025 first-round pick for P.J. Washington with him going to restricted free agency? I'd be a little bit queasy about doing that. And um, Jared Vanderbilt, the human energy drink, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it seems like the stuff that I've heard is that he might be going unless it's part of a bigger deal for cheaper than people expected. He definitely shrinks the floor a little bit for you, but that's the benefit of having Graham Williams and Al Horford is that you can play a big like him. He has the passing IQ, I think, to play in Boston's offense. Uh, I actually have not considered him for Boston. That might be my favorite name that you had just, uh, mentioned of the three. Cause it, maybe it's also because he feels like the most gettable as well of the three for Boston.
5: I've heard some pushback uh, from some friends of the pod who I won't put on blast here uh, for the shooting, but that's the same way I'm looking at it. He can't play with Rob by himself. But other than that, I think he, he's functionally able to to be worked into certain lines for the Celtics in a way that makes sense.
3: I will say that Utah has like a 120 offensive rating when he plays with Walker Kessler. <laughs> and so it's like Utah has a lot of talent, but they don't have as much talent as Boston's. Like, if you, I wouldn't recommend it, but like you could totally. You could totally try it. Um, I did want to ask you guys, though, because I've talked about this with some people, is a name I consider when I was coming up with these trades is, have you ever any thought to Zach Collins? I know Jakob pertle has been the guy from San Antonio that's drawing all the attention, but he has been like my favorite under the radar, go ahead and trade for this guy, Target, because I think he makes a difference for you as a four or five, not just for Boston, for like a handful of other teams
5: the yeah. injury history is as concerning but i mean That's let's just thing. have the all front court cheap big man injury history situation i mean i guess i'll fit into that equation but you know he,
4: yeah i think i think for me the issue has been that you're now relying on a number of guys who have the chance to get hurt at any given moment and i do see a little bit of redundancy as well between collins and grant um obviously like Getting another big who can shoot, particularly in the NBA, is never a bad thing. Um, I I am maybe a little bit lower on Zach Collins as a player than I think a lot of other people are. I, I just haven't seen all that much to hit from, from my end to suggest that he's a player that substantially impacts winning. Um, I wouldn't hate it, but I wouldn't love the idea of the Celtics giving up a lot to get Zach Collins. Let's put it that way.
1: No for hey,
2: it also occurs to me that the jazz and the Timberwolves are just like right in the mix. Like, I don't know that they can talk themselves into being wholesale sellers, which means Mike Muscala, congratulations. You just became a Boston Celtic. Uh, Dan, let me ask you about some buyout stuff. And then we'll look at the league writ large. Will Barton uh, has reportedly been considered by the Celtics. Uh, I don't know that it's been reported on like background or anything, but Andre Drummond is a name that keeps coming up and I keep pushing for Carmelo Anthony. Uh, any thoughts on what the Celtics might do in the buyout market? Because uh, really, since August, we've been told it's it's less likely that there are trades to come and more that Boston is a buyout team.
0: Yeah,
3: I mean, uh, they do have the open roster spot too, I believe right now, which helps them yeah. uh, in that regard. So they don't even have to go out and create one. Uh, I would love, Andre Drummond needs to stay away from this team. I just would not. That seems <laughs> like just an absolutely terrible fit. Um, but I think if you, I always feel like there's bigs who end up on the buyout market that are always worth kind of the stab in the dark. And we know that buyout signings tend to not make these huge impacts, but if you're Boston, that's kind of another reason why you don't go like sort of all in to acquire another front court player. Um, because like, what if, you know, like Nurland's Noel could get bought out. And like, if it's between that, or like, Oh, we need to give up real value to get Jakob Pertle. Like, no, I'll just take Nerlens Noel on the buyout market. Thank you very much. Uh, what happens with Mo Bamba in Orlando is just sort of falling out of the rotation. He would be super interesting as a buyout candidate. Uh, the, he, I, he's not going to get bought out, but I don't know why there was the rumor that Rashawn Holmes was going to get bought out. Like that dude has two years left on his deal, but if he did for some reason, um, get bought out, like that would be something to monitor. And so there are like these players that, um, you know, bigs, um, more so one position bigs at that point, when we're talking about the PJ Washingtons and Nas Reeds who could toggle between the four and the five. Um, but I think that would be the route that they go. Or maybe like if they're just looking for, you know, if Eric Gordon, gets bought out like i know everyone has him ticketed for philly but like you wanted to upgrade over the the sam hauser minutes that um are no longer basically like eric gordon is someone who could come in and do that and then peyton pritchard will probably never see the floor again at that point but um so i could see them doing something uh like that what is tough for them though is and we've talked about this a little bit is some of these teams are probably just going to be able to guarantee more minutes on the buyout market to To these guys. And if you're, if you're a big, maybe it's a little bit easier to sign with Boston because you know about Al Horford, like, you know, RW3 has those injury histories. But I am wondering if that will factor into the, or limit them in terms of guys who are maybe trying to play for another contract, um, aren't going to trust that they'll get the burn in Boston to, to be more than minimum guys on the market this summer.
4: Yeah, I think that's a huge factor. And honestly, it's part of the reason why as much as I would love to get a guy like Mo Bamba on there, um, I just have a really hard time seeing it. And I think that's going to be largely true for younger players generally who are looking to get onto their second contract. Um, A guy like Will Barton, makes a lot of sense to me. Obviously, he's not a big, but makes a lot of sense to me as like an older vet player who's looking for, you know, a shot at a ring. I think the Celtics could definitely be in the market for some ring chasers. Um, So if any of those guys shake loose, Brad Stevens is going to be all over that. But I I would have a hard time seeing a player like Bamba, who's still, you know, got plenty of years left in the tank and is probably trying to get his next contract, wanting to sign up to be the fourth big.
2: Yeah, What's fun about the NBA, and we'll, we'll talk about the NBA in just a moment, is that there's, there are teams that don't seem like they're super-duper well-run, and Boston is fastidiously well-run. So I think what is likely is that the Celtics do something we haven't thought of that is very prudent and cautious, that like lowers the tax bill and brings in a veteran, and you know Cabin Galley gets extra money. And it will be nice and boring, and it doesn't matter because the Celtics are on their way to... A deep postseason run. Let's talk about the rest of the NBA because uh, other types of teams are out there. Certainly, Dan and Alex, and Justin, for that matter. Let's—we got a lot on our plate, so let's uh, kind of gamify it, and and we'll give our around-the-horn style takes. Dan, who's the biggest seller in the West? And we have in our notes: Houston, San Antonio, Utah, or Portland. But you can pick any team.
3: I think it might be Utah just because I I think that they're willing to just get worse and they they actually need to trade. Whereas like the Rockets and the Spurs don't need to trade anybody to get like bad. They need to trade people to get bad. And so outside of Larry marketing and uh, Walker Kessler, like looking at Mike Conley, Beasley, Jordan Clarkson, even it would not shock me if Colin Sexton got moved to the deadline by them. Like that's just Danny. I know he's there's the jokes that he talks about a lot of trades and never makes them, but he's also the type of guy that would absolutely move Colin Sexton after just acquiring him in that in that sign and yeah. trade, too.
2: Yeah, I thought Sexton was, I've said this before, was going to be the token all-star. So now that marketing has arrived with respect to Sexton, who's a good player, I don't know that he fits what needs to happen in Utah. Um, Alex, I'll go to you, and then Justin, who's your seller in the West?
4: You know, I'm watching the Portland Trailblazers pretty closely right now. Um, I think there's definitely a world in which they get to the all-star break. They're, I think, like 11th in the West right now. And even though it's close, you know, the West standings are pretty tight as it is. This, What's happening in Portland right now is not sustainable for building a title team. I definitely have heard and seeing things that suggest that they are looking for buyers on Yusuf Nurkic. They're looking for a possibility of Jeremy Grant trades. And I've also seen that they are quietly dangling some of their younger guys like Shaden Sharp and Anthony Simons. I think the kind of mandate from on high importance seems to be, we want to keep building around Damian Lillard for as long as he's here. And the only real path to them doing that and getting players of value back is if they move on from one of those guys like Simons or Sharp, who would have, I think, significant value around the league. So I'm, I'm keeping my eye on them, particularly as a possible OG and an OB destination. Um, you know, obviously it's possible that they just keep it rolling and there's not a market there for them, but I wouldn't be super shocked if Portland gets into the mix here a bit.
2: Sure. And um, apologies, Alex and I are in Boston where the wind is just like trying to blow our houses down. So... Um, there's some background noise on both of our ends. Um Justin in Mexico, less windy. Who is your favorite seller in the West?
5: Yeah, it is surprisingly windy here because I actually and bundled up because I am even feeling the uh, brunt of this cold front down here. But the answer is Utah. Though I do think the Spurs could be a lot more active than maybe people think for some of the the, the people we've already discussed, as well as Doogie McBuckets. Uh, Doug McDermott doesn't really fit what they're trying to do there either. So I'll be pretty surprised if he's still with the team at the end of the season. Uh, and they have, you know, the whole cap space thing. They could do an Indiana type thing and maybe give it to a player or just, you know, let that, that extra money that has to go somewhere go to the players and a bonus. But it wouldn't also surprise me to see them take on a little bit of money just to try to pick up some. Some draft assets, which isn't exactly selling, but kind of also is in a way.
2: By the way, this is a complete aside. The Dejounte Murray piece on AnScape uh, that uh, just came out or is uh, is about to come out sounds brilliant. Um, I've I've heard Spears talk about it, but it seems like it's worth checking out. Anyways, Dan, let's stick with the West. Who's your favorite buyer in the West?
3: Uh I I want to say Memphis. Because cool. I feel like they're, they can buy and they're like, uh, I know that everyone has them getting OG Ananobi, who I actually think he's a terrible fit for them, but like they don't need to make that level of move to be there. Like they could get a, like a Boyan Bogdanovich or like, even like a Kyle Kuzma. Like there's just so many different things that they could do and look at. I think they're my favorite buyer, but I say that with a metric ton of salt because they just don't do anything like that in the middle of the season. And so I think I, I'm probably most fascinated by like, what is, Phoenix going to do just because they're you know they've had the league's worst offense since Devin Booker's been out and they've tumbled down the standings and now the Kevin Durant specter is going to loom back over them with the Kyrie Irving trade request they've been linked to Fred Van Vliet they've been linked to OG Ananobi they actually probably want Pascal Siakam and so they get into an interesting game which is why I find them fascinating of how much they want to give up right now and how much are they worried about or not worried about, but they're trying to plan for this summer, where maybe names like Kevin Durant and Pascal Siakam are more likely to shake loose. Do you want to play some of your best trade cards um, in the middle of the season that could skew towards a loss season? When you just look at how far that they fall in the standings at the same time, you are sort of obligated to act with urgency because you do have Chris Paul and like, you know, your the top of your core is still really good when healthy.
2: Unless you don't have Chris Paul uh also fair i feel obligated to just remind listeners because i'm looking at it right in front of me in the west the mavericks have 25 losses they're in fourth place and the thunder who are in 13th place have 27 losses so it could be a perfect log jam and no one blinks or it could be just one of those nuclear uh trade deadlines like um what was it 2015 uh, that just like, popped. like fifth
5: of the, the lead trade uh, changed hands yeah
2: that was fun uh justin Who's your favorite buyer in the West?
5: Uh, I I think my favorite is the Warriors, just because they are kind of making the same mistake the Celtics made in the Kyrie area. Not explicitly because of the Kyrie situation, but because of the two timelines that I think fed into, among other things, uh, the Kyrie situation. And they, they know they need to fix it. They're going to do something to fix it i think it's going to be a lot more boring than some people uh think it might be like something as simple as like alex caruso for for wiseman or something like that but I, they're going to do something and i think they don't need to do too much really to to get themselves other than arrive at the end of the season healthy to make some noise in the postseason i don't know if there's gonna be a finals rematch but uh i'm very curious to see what they end up doing sure alex Did. the pregnant
2: pause i'm, I'm so excited okay. all right i'll, I'll go okay the, the correct answer here is the denver nuggets because not only are the denver nuggets the closest to being a true juggernaut with respect to the grizzlies and the beam team but i think bones highland is one of the more interesting chips out there that if a team really wanted to go all in among the good teams in the west that's one of the best pieces out there um, the salary that Bones do, rather doesn't have kind of makes it complicated. But, um, you know, the Grizzlies, Dan, I think is a stellar pick. The Kings, I could I could really talk myself into it, but the Nuggets, dang, the Nuggets are such a good team that if they got even that much better, that would be really, really uh, fascinating. Um, Alex, it seems yeah. like you fixed, fixed your tech problems. Any um, West buyers you want to talk about quickly?
4: You know, um, I've been seeing a lot of stuff about the New Orleans Pelicans, who are kind of in a free fall right now. Um, It seems like now that Zion Williamson has been out for a significant amount of time, Brandon Ingram is kind of just now coming back. Um, it, It does seem like they are in a situation where their season is on the precipice of falling apart completely unless they are able to make a move and get healthy. Obviously they are one of the teams that has been linked to OG and Anobi. I don't know who they're going to get. They do have a lot of contracts that are pretty movable guys like Larry Nance, guys like um, Devonte Graham, guys like Jonas Valanciunas, who I think, you know, is a good player, but could also potentially fetch some value on the market. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see New Orleans try and mix things up in an attempt to save their season and get back into the playoffs. Okay.
2: Okay. Let's do the East, but to the benefit of celerity, uh, a little more decisiveness out of all of us has that. So, Dan, you're back on top. Who is your favorite seller in the East?
3: This is a really tough question because it just feels like there's a, even more of a dearth of prospective sellers in the East. I think it's just the Raptors because they're still enigmatic, but they have they are a team that I think should probably at least recalibrate a little bit. And they have... So many intriguing guys at the top of their roster from OGN and OB, Fred Van Fleet, Gary Trent Jr., all coming up soon on different paydays. Um, that I think could really like those are landscape shifting players to me. Where if it's a wannabe contender or semi established contender acquires one of them, like they really move the needle for you. And I do think there's just the small chance that if someone comes in with a godfather offer, like do they decide to move Pascal Siakam right now as well?
2: Yeah, that would be spicy. Pun intended. Thank you, Alex. Your favorite seller in the East?
4: Favorite seller in the East. It's a good question. There's so many options, right? There are so many teams that could throw their hat into the Wembenyama sweepstakes. Um, the Atlanta Hawks have been trying to move John Collins for what seems like an eternity. Right now, um, they also still have Bogdanovich under contract, a guy who I think is a good player that is losing minutes to Dejounte Murray and Trey Young. So I think you could see something there. Um, something needs to change in Atlanta because right now they are not as good a team as I think anybody in their organization particularly expected them to be. Travis Schlenk is no longer their GM. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, their new GM is, you know, kind of coming in, trying to make moves and put a stamp on the team. And I do think that they're kind of at a crossroads where they need to figure out what they're going to do with this team and uh, whether they are going to be building around Trey. Yeah. If so, they need to make some moves to do that.
2: Yeah. They seem like they're in denial, but I suspect you're right about that. Dr. Quinn.
5: Uh, I would say that Chicago would be, if they had any idea what was going on with Lonzo uh, and his knee, they don't. So I expect them to kind of just figure it out in the off season. I don't really think they're going to do anything besides expiring contracts. people, who they don't expect to be sticking with the organization longer than this season uh, in terms of moving players. So I'm going to have to agree that Toronto, Uh, they probably need to make some decisions about some of the marginal players, uh, as well as I really feel like if anyone moves on that roster, it's actually going to be Fred Van Vliet because I'm not getting returning vibes from him unless he really can't find a situation that he is really into. He's only got one good paycheck left in terms of a big contract. So I, I actually would not be surprised at all if he ends up in, say, Phoenix, for example.
2: Yeah, that seems like that's a that's one people like a lot. All right, still moving quickly. Dan, who's your favorite buyer in the East?
3: Um I think for me that it's going to be uh and i know this is not quick at all because it's just like i don't even know who's really built to buy in the east it's something i thought about i'm curious as to like whether the sixers could do anything semi-substantial like they're so good right now and the fact that they're bringing tyrese Maxey off the bench does it make it a little bit more likely that they would consider pairing him with tobias harris's contract and seeing if they could take a bigger swing or are they very much in we're just going to duck the tax maybe see if we could do something on the buyout market and We'll settle into this, but just knowing how Daryl Morey has been um, in off seasons and trade deadlines past, like they just, I they they're limited in what they can do unless they put Maxi on the table. But it just wouldn't surprise me if they try to turn over a, a bigger rock than people are expecting them to right now.
2: Sorry, I was I was typing away to set up our next segment. Alex' biggest buyer, at least.
4: The biggest buyer in the East for me has been the Cleveland Cavaliers since the start of the season, who feel like they are one wing short of an actual title run. Um, I would be very surprised if they aren't actively trying to move Karis LeVert and whatever else they can to get a true, like, installed, planted in their starting 3 D wing. Somebody that, like, set it and forget it. We know this is going to be our guy. If there's one weakness that Cleveland has had all year, it's that the spacing can get really cramped, uh, particularly when they have one of their kind of bench uh, rotation in there. And they like teams know to just leave the fifth starter in Cleveland in the corner, whoever that might be. And you know, Kevin Love is a great shooter, obviously, but he can he's just going to get shredded on the defensive end. So for me, it's Cleveland and their pursuit of that fifth starter.
5: For me, I think it's actually something that hasn't been written about because it's too recent to be written about. I think the biggest buyers in the East are very clearly going to be the Brooklyn Nets. because If they don't find a way to replace Kyrie Irving, they're going to have to find Kevin Durant a new home. They're going to have a whole offseason to have to deal with a trade request this time. And if we thought it was ugly last time, which it was, uh, it's going to be even uglier this time. So... They may not succeed, but they're going to try to be the biggest buyers in the East, in my opinion. If I
2: was Philadelphia, I would, I would think very strongly about making a splash. Uh, I'm inclined to say Milwaukee, but they've been there before, so I don't think that they're going to be as worried as maybe they should be, or or consensus thinks they ought to be. I mean, they still, have, we can swear at this point. They still fucking Giannis. I mean, I'm uh, Philly still has a bead. Okay. Let's close it on down with a game, a game that I'm springing on you that I'm making up on the fly, so bear with me. I'm going to go around the horn. I'm going to give you a player, and you have to tell me where they're playing uh, as of February 10th, the day after the trade deadline. So, Dan, Kyrie Irving, where's he playing?
3: Uh, LA with the Lakers.
2: It'd be perfect. It'd be horrible and perfect. Alex, where's Jay Crowder playing?
4: I think Jay Crowder might be playing for the Miami Heat after the deadline. A little reunion there.
2: Doctor Quinn, where's Kevin Durant playing? Brooklyn. Yeah, that was easy. Uh,
5: thank you. You could have been Appreciate more it. sexy,
2: I guess. Dan, where's Zach Levine playing? Chicago. Alex, where's Bones Highland playing?
4: I honestly have no idea where Bell and Thailand is going to be playing. I know where he's not going to be playing. And that is the Denver Nuggets.
2: Yeah. I wonder if um, Sacramento, like a bones and Harrison Barnes, and I don't know how the salary would work, but
4: yeah. You is, know, is I, I heard, guy? I heard a rumor about an Emmanuel quickly bones Highland swap. That just seems like, like, what's the point? Why are we doing that?
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Well, let's, we'll get to Dan's beloved Knicks at the end. Uh, Westbrook, Dr. Quinn, will be playing where on February
5: 10th? Uh, I'm sorry to do this to his Knicks, but that's the, the place I'm going to put him. Uh, I don't have a good reason because you're going to yell at me if I say Los Angeles, which is really where he's going to be playing. But yeah, we'll just make it the Knicks.
3: Could he just be a free agent at that point? He'll already yeah, he could be. He, he
5: really, <laughs> really, really, really could be. Yeah, no, you aren't wrong about that.
4: I'm going to just jump in and say that I think Russell Westbrook is going to be a San Antonio Spur. By the end of this deadline, interesting. Oh, yeah.
2: and then shortly thereafter bought out. Yes. Okay, a couple That's more. Great. Dan, where is Peyton Pritchard playing February 10th?
3: Oh, I'm going to say Boston or Minnesota. I can't get the Pritchard for Nas swap out of my head, especially because Jalen Noel requested a trade, since people like Jalen Noel have the ability to request trades now, and we
2: care about that apparently. Everyone ever deserves a moment in the sun. Alex, where is OG Ananubi playing next season?
4: I know I mentioned Portland earlier. I think OG is bound to be a Memphis Grizzly. It just makes so much sense. I know that the fit is maybe not as good as people are necessarily hyping it up to be, according to Dan, but it just makes all the sense in the world for Memphis to go out and get a big defensive wing at this time.
2: Sure. Dr. Quinn. where is Fred Van Vliet playing next, uh, next week?
5: Well, I already said the Phoenix Suns, but if he's going to go and trade someplace besides the Phoenix Suns, the New York Knicks would have been interesting had they not had Jalen Brunson. Uh, So I'm going to say Toronto.
2: Okay, let me work backwards now. Uh, Dr. Quinn, where's James Wiseman playing next season?
5: Mm, Chicago Bulls.
2: No, next next week, not next season. Yeah, Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls, okay. Alex, where's Christian Wood playing next week?
4: Christian Wood. Man, it feels like Dallas is going to make a move. I have no idea what that move is going to look like. Christian Wood would be the guy to send out. God, I I have no idea. You know, maybe, maybe it's like send Christian Wood to the New Orleans Pelicans, just have him like running around there and coming off the bench and maybe playing when Zion is hurt, things like that. I have no idea, truly.
2: Okay. And then Dan, by extension, on February 10th, who is the second best player playing for the Mavericks?
3: Oh, man. Uh, still Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, I guess it could be Kyrie, which in which case Christian Wood would be in Brooklyn at that point. Like they could probably use him in that case, but I'm just going to, I don't think they have the asset juice to do anything
2: real this trade that month. Yeah. And it's like, they're, they're one of those like dumb teams, but not the dumb teams, you know, would
3: be an interesting answer like that would be if minnesota really thinks he's going to leave that might be like one to consider but
2: that's a cheap shot at dwight powell dwight powell is a better basketball player than D'Angelo who basketball. gets
3: more first round picks uh Kyrie irving or dwight powell in, in the trade
2: if i had my way uh dwight powell can't put a price on handsome okay uh dan speaking of poorly run teams let's talk about your mix uh gadget <laughs> gotcha. we just kidding i love the mix um Dan of Bleacher Report fame, of uh, epic trade deadline cheat sheet fame, of uh, anything else you want to plug fame? Uh,
3: not fame, but our little operation, Hardwood Knox, the F Valley of Hardwood Knox. That podcast is, in my totally unbiased opinion, is very much underrated.
2: Dave, I, I feel the same. Okay, Dan, thank you for coming on, and we'll get you out of here on this, what happens to the Knicks at the trade deadline
3: they move cam reddish and maybe they overpay for like an og and an OB or something they're just julius Randle's an all-star jalen Brunson's played well but they are still like low-key just directionless at this point and so i don't have a feel for what they're going to do with the trade my one prediction would be that they'll move cam reddish and my gut feeling says that they will also end up moving either or both of Obi top and future first round equity
5: yeah, I kind of feel like that's right. They're they're long overdue for getting out of the first round of the postseason, and even if they have to completely retweet the team top to bottom after this season, uh, why not at least try to use a little bit of that draft capital to do something interesting? I don't think it'd be that crazy. All right,
2: Dan Favalli of Bleacher Report. Thanks very very much for illuminating us with your trade insight and. Um sharing a wonderful afternoon post-carrier trade request because of course by the time this is up it'll have been traded and this will all have changed but we appreciate you hanging in the pocket regardless
3: well thank you guys so much for having me it was a blast Mm
2: -hmm. yeah uh, everyone thanks for liking and subscribing ahead of schedule and um we'll see you next week adios this is the story of the one